Well, good morning, church. I will say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul. Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. How good was that? That's Eric. And can we just show him a sign of appreciation in American Sign Language? There you go. Don't worry. I've done it plenty of times. <laughs> Delightful. Um, I just need to, one, say thanks for letting me be here. I'm Chris. I'm the Kairos pastor. We hang out on Tuesday nights in Hudson Hall, and you're welcome anytime to join us. It's a young adults ministry, but nobody listens to us. And so five to 65-year-olds are always welcome. It is the delightful place to serve on your behalf um, and minister to those in need. This morning, though, um, I've been wrecked by my newfound hearing to the deaf community. So 90% of what I'm about to tell you is from Eric. And I would love to humbly serve as his translator and give voice to a community that so often is not heard. So I didn't know this. I'm learning this as well. Did you know historically how deaf people have been ostracized and objectified? Aristotle said this, a deaf person is can be considered a barbarian and therefore is not capable of education. In the dark ages, many of them were committed to asylums and considered to be demonically possessed. In the Middle Ages, the church deemed because they could not hear the word of God, they could not be saved and therefore could not come to church. And did you know just as recently as 1960, they allowed American Sign Language back in our public schools? These are some of the challenges and obstacles that our deaf community faces. And I, for one, am honored to be on staff with Eric. I'm glad, as Mike says, to be a part of a church that God trusts with the hard things. To build a worship center specifically designed for the deaf community, not just to be a worship center, but a training and sending center. A couple of years ago, under Eric's leadership, we've started the Deaf Theological Center, where we train deaf people in theological studies to help become pastors and missionaries. To date, 39 graduates. 21 of them are currently active missionaries with the International Mission Board. Five of them are pastors. Seven of them have come back to train others. The current class right now includes two from the States, two from the Czech Republic, and two from Senegal. One who signed to us at staff meeting told us that he comes from a Muslim family and would be told that he would be killed if he converted anyone to Christianity. But isn't it interesting? They're not going to keep him silent. And so I honor the work that we're doing there. And when you give and serve at this church, you make things like that possible. And I don't know about you, but it gets me really excited. And so if you sense me raising my voice, <laughs> it's because I want to speak on behalf of those whose voice has not been heard. And this text is a wonderful example of how Jesus wants to do that. And also, I also forgot, did you know that under Eric's leadership and with the deaf congregation, you guys have heard this before, but we need to say it again, we're translating the Bible into American Sign Language for the first time ever. Hot dog. That's Hebrew for praise the Lord. 
So Eric, we were in a preaching team meeting where all the campus pastors, we get around and we talk about the text, we pull out our research, we share ideas, we talk about our congregations, and we all fall silent as Eric signs this text to us. And then this is one that he's preached before, and all of us just go, yeah, I'm preaching that, <laughs> okay? Like everything that I've got is worthless compared to what he just said. Unbelievable. So Eric points out that there are 10 things that Jesus does, 11, excuse me, nine of which don't involve words. The other two are ones he can hear. So I just want to walk you through what he said, and then he also helps us imagine historically what it might have been like for this deaf man. So Jesus is healing. Big crowds have come. He's doing all things well, and for some people, that's a threat. Isn't it interesting that the religious establishment and power brokers who stay in power by ostracizing certain people get really threatened when the last, the least, and the lost, the poor, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow are given a front row seat to the kingdom of God? So he goes, and he uh, speculates that perhaps the deaf man was brought by people who wanted to taunt Jesus into doing a difficult miracle because surely the Son of God could not heal someone born deaf and mute. And as Eric points out, the deaf man would not have known what's going on because they're always the last one to hear. It says in that time in Hebrew law, deaf people weren't allowed to own property. It was acceptable if you had a child that was born deaf to take it out to the wilderness and let the jackals eat it. If they survived, they would not be socialized. They would have no basis for language or culture or interaction. The only way that they would live day to day is probably stealing food. They would have this oldy moldy theology that said somehow they sinned or their parents sinned, that they were born deaf. Uh, they were not allowed to attend worship services. And so Eric says, imagine this, a big huge crowd is going to see Jesus. All the cars are left unlocked and all the homes are empty, and perhaps the getting is getting good. And this deaf man who has to go around and steal for a living is in the middle of doing this, and all he sees is a bunch of people coming from him and grabbing him and dragging him before a crowd and throwing him at the feet of Jesus. What does he think? He doesn't know what's going on. He has not heard who Jesus is, does not know what's happening, probably assumes, I'm about to be beaten, laughed, made fun of, spit on, and possibly killed. And what is Jesus' response? With no language, he takes them aside privately. Isn't that interesting, church? Because too many of us, our public activity is outstripping our private relationship with Jesus. Let's stop objectifying minorities to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Pulls him aside, touches him, who, one who is considered untouchable, looks at someone who's been overlooked, his whole life touches his ears, touches his tongue. The two wounded, broken places in his body looks up and has him look up with him and sighs. Eric says that the sigh in sign language means it is finished. Uh-oh. <laughs> Jesus just practicing. <laughs> Because on the cross, he's going to sigh and say, it's finished. I'm making all things new. The broken's become beautiful. And right now, this guy is getting an advanced degree in the kingdom of God because we're about to set it down right in his midst. He looks up and he sighs. 
And the first words the deaf man hears is, Ephetha, be open. And then he has to instruct the crowd, don't tell anyone. Why give this man the dignity of telling his own story? Not only did Jesus allow him to hear, he gave him the gift of language. And finally, he can speak for himself on behalf of those who also have been broken and left out. I don't know about you guys, but I want more people who come through this church to be held up, to have their ears open and their tongues loose, to be able to tell the story of God working in and through them. I think some of us this morning just need Jesus to pull us aside in private and look at us straight in the eyes. Be the lifter of our heads. Get rid of that shame. Get rid of that guilt. No matter how far you've run and how much you've hidden, it doesn't work with me. I see you. I love you. And I'm coming after you. And he's going to touch the broken places in your life that you think are untouchable. And he's going to look up to heaven and he's going to sigh. It's finished. I paid for that debt in full. You are fully free and fully redeemed to be fully alive in me. And he's going to whisper in some ancient language, Ephetha, and open up your eyes, your ears, and your heart. And Lord, have mercy. Hopefully your hand's in service. Because after Jesus heals you, you can't help but to be a healer. Walter Wagner and Jr. says it this way, I did not ask the wounded man how he felt. I felt myself become the wounded man. And I'll say this, church. I know we're talking about a healing passage, and it can get wonky. And no, I'm not going down to the deaf chapel and shouting Ephetha and expecting them all to hear again. <laughs> Uh, what I am saying is this, at least in my journey with Christ and my understanding of the Bible so far, when it comes to healing, it's not going to be because I didn't ask. And sometimes God heals instantly. Sometimes he heals progressively. And sometimes he lets that thorn in the flesh just ride because he wants to give us a longing for new heaven and new earth. He's going to let us walk with a limp to remember that Jesus is coming again and he will make all things new and he has done everything well. Sometimes God heals our wounds. And sometimes he makes us a wounded healer. And in my life, he's done both. I was talking to my mom, um, which I'm supposed to do. You're welcome. <laughs> we were talking about this passage and I got some weird story from my childhood I don't know about your family you grow up in, but you just grow up in it, and then you get older, and you're like, wait, what? Who am I? Why do we tell these stories? Stop. That's weird. Wait a second. Is that who I am? Um, I said, Mom, didn't you guys tell a story about a time when you thought I was deaf as a child? And she's like, we also thought that as a teenager, but yes, there's actually... <laughs> ..a time in your life where that's true. And she's like, Chris, you almost didn't make it, son. Um, when you were one, we found you blue in your crib, and we rushed you to the hospital, and they put you in an oxygen tent for a week. My wife says that explains a lot. So when I was two, um, I got into my dad's suitcase. He traveled for a living, and he had one of those old, old bottles of Old Spice. You remember those things uh, like that? And I guzzled it. I drank it. My mom called poison control, and she said, <laughs> other than musky breath, um, he's drunk. <laughs> and I'll have a hangover. 
Black Sheep Baptist since the day I was born. Then <laughs> I'm three years old, and my mom tells me we're in my room playing, and my brother's behind me and smashes a Tonka truck, and I don't turn around. And so my family gets behind me and starts clapping and shouting, and as a child, I didn't move. I didn't acknowledge the noise. Took me to the doctor, general physician. He said, uh, yeah, uh, there's something going on here, and I don't know what it is. We need to refer him to a hearing specialist. My parents were not believers at the time. My grandparents are. My dad's dad was praying for them. And when he told them, my grandfather said, well, we'll be praying for Christopher. And I think my dad went, yeah, a lot of good that'll do. And when I got to the hearing specialist, there was nothing wrong with my hearing. And when they told my grandparents, they said, oh, yeah, sure. And we prayed for him. And I'd like to think that that was the beginning of their ears opening up to the reality of the gospel. I also like to believe in that moment, perhaps there was instantaneous physical healing for me, but a progressive spiritual healing began in my life to open up my ears to the beauty and the mystery and the power of the gospel. And I wonder if one of the reasons why so many of us have a speech impediment when it comes to sharing our faith is because we don't know how to hear the voice of God. It's Black History Month, and we're celebrating it here. You're welcome. Um, we need to do that as a church. Um, we need, not only with the deaf community, but our brothers and sisters in the black community, we need to acknowledge where historically people have been ostracized and objectified. We need to look at ways that we as a church can not only recognize that, but repent and align ourselves to a gospel that is radically inclusive to a people group that we have been historically exclusive to. Is that fair? Do we need any more explanation? Mike's been walking us through that. And this is, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, Mike's been walking us through this and showing us historical figures. Um, with your permission, I would like to share someone personally from my history who changed my future. This is Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. He's an African-American professor of preaching at Bissing Divinity School. This is him preaching at Kairos. Um, and then I think there's a slide where I have the honor and gift and uh, humble audacity to pray over him. But I went to seminary thinking I wanted to be a college professor. The church scared me. I saw what it did to people. It shot its wounded. And all the preachers I had seen in my life were nerds. Um, they had bad suits and bad haircuts and spoke really, really like they were angry um, and never sinned a day in their life except exceeding the speed limit by two miles an hour. Um, and I really didn't resonate with that, so I figured uh, I had a teacher who changed my life, so I'll go to hang out with college students and be able to wear jeans to class. I walked into that man's room, and he changed my life. Scotty Smith says it this way. I knew the lyrics of the gospel. I didn't know the melody. And when he began to preach, a song began to awaken in my heart, and I said, that's what I want to sound like. It was brilliant. Brilliant. 
it was passionate, it was poetic, there was doctrine that dances, there was questions we were allowed to ask. And in the black church, you can talk back to the preacher when he's talking, which for me was the greatest gift I had ever seen in my life. I didn't have to be quiet in church anymore. And he was a teacher who let me be a student. And he became a father who let me be his son. And I don't know about you, but the way that that man served me, a wounded, jader, skeptical kid who came into seminary with lots and lots of woundedness and baggage and was silently asking the question, I know God loves me, but I don't think Jesus likes me very much. He brought me to his table. He prayed with me. And he served me in ways he didn't have to. And he's one of the reasons I'm standing before you this morning. And I celebrate him. Service is the sign language of the saints. When we serve and we love, we don't objectify and we don't marginalize and we don't just drive by and we give something beyond just our pity and our leftover finances then we begin to understand what it's like to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime any place, amen so let's take a couple minutes and pray and I would ask you to ask the father what do you want me to hear? And if you can't hear anything, ask him to speak epitha over you. What had your name on it this morning? What did he wake you up this morning and get you out of bed and bring you to this place to hear? Is there someone you need to look at that you've overlooked? Is there someone you need to touch who you used to think was untouchable? Is there someone you just need to sigh and look up to heaven and say, not only is it finished, but I'm finished ignoring this. And that person may be you. It may be your neighbor. It may be a family member. But who do we want to see God move in their life so that one day they have a story to tell? And it ends with this. He has done all things well. So we're going to sing, and you'll have an opportunity to respond. If you need prayer or just want to take a next step, we've got a next step parlor right outside these doors. If you want to get on board with the mission of this church and join the church, we'd welcome you. If you just need someone to pray for you, I told Eric, I just want to line him up and have him touch all of our ears and pray that they'd be open.
or is it just jumping in in service? We got hundreds of greeters every morning that just say hi, welcome. Service is the sign language of the saints. Love and humility is a language that transcends all cultures. How will you respond? The only thing I would tell you is unacceptable is doing nothing. Amen.